You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 348 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live on this uh Deep into that on this Friday, the Atlanta Hawks uh, fell by a final score of 116 to 93 in their first game back from the All Star break, and of course that'll be the headliner of today's podcast. But uh, you know, plenty of other things to get to. In fact, uh, you know, some injury stuff that actually does not directly affect the Hawks, but that actually uh, indirectly affects the Hawks in some way. A buyout, um, a signing that's a little bit weird, a benching, all this kind of fun stuff. And uh, you know, interesting podcast after the first game of the post All Star break run. So uh, first and foremost. The uh, reporting indicates that Ursula Ivisova will be bought out by the Atlanta Hawks in the coming days. This was first reported by Sam Amick of USA Today, a trusted source for sure. If you're not following Sam, you're doing things wrong. And uh, later, Michael Cunningham of the AJC confirmed the uh, agreement that was actually being in place from Ilyasova and the Hawks. He did not play at all on Friday, and that pretty much is the uh, the nail in the coffin. You you, you have to think, uh, for, you know, firm announcement has not, has not been made just yet that he's been waived, but I think you can, you can certainly expect him to be on the market uh, in the very near future if you are an Ilyasova fan and hoping that he will be landing somewhere um, for his next stop, uh, Sam Amick is reporting that the Bucks and Raptors are among the teams that uh, Ursan is interested in. And uh, Milwaukee definitely makes a lot of sense. He still lives in Milwaukee and has been there at, in the past. And, and the Raptors are definitely somebody, you know, that's, that's a team that could certainly make the NBA Finals this year. If you're, so if, if he's interested in, in maybe winning a little bit more on a higher level, that might be a good a, a good landing spot for Ursan as a, as a bench piece. But um, in the end, you know, people might um, actually not even, might even might probably were asking um, why this would be happening after all that, that's gone on. Of course, Ilyasova turned down the opportunity to be traded before the trade, trade deadline, and then actually both sides had referenced the fact that Ilyasova did not want to be bought out, but apparently something changed in the last couple of weeks. Um, for Ilyasova, though, this, is kind of, kind of, this actually does make some sense. Um, if you are traded, you can't pick where you uh, go. You know, He had the no-trade clause and wielded it as such. If you are bought out, uh, you have an opportunity to get more money from somewhere else, and you actually could improve your financial situation for this season alone if you don't take a huge buyout and actually get a, a second contract somewhere else, and you get to absolutely choose where you go and in a sense where if you're traded and you have no trade clause, you, you could certainly say yes or no, but it's not you fully driving the process. Whereas if you are a free agent, you can sign wherever you want to. And Ilyasova has a lot of power in that situation. Um, with that said, you know, from a Hawks perspective, obviously this is a guy who, uh, on, on the best Hawks team available this year, would certainly be a part of it. Ilyasova is not a guy who's going to transform a team by himself, but he's certainly a rotation level power forward for basically any, any team in the league. You don't want him. You don't want him to, him to be a starting a starting uh, power forward for you necessarily. But at the same time, you know, Ilyasova can he can certainly function in that role. Has done so for the Hawks this season and. You know, Ersan's a very solid player. So, uh, you know, we, we wish him the best in the future. I definitely like Ersan a lot as a guy and as a, as a player. He's a very useful piece, and uh, hopefully he will have some good luck down the line. But it looks like this will be the last time we talk about Ersan on the pod for a while, obviously, just because I think it's pretty much inevitable that he'll be moving on uh, in the very near future. So uh, the next topic on the agenda uh, was actually before the Ersan uh, buyout, and this actually took place uh, earlier on this week after I recorded the last podcast. But the Hawks uh, signed Antonius Cleveland to a 10-day contract. Uh, Cleveland spent... Time on a two-way with the Dallas Mavericks earlier this season, but actually is injured at the moment. 
as a somewhat interesting skill set to me. It's sort of, sort of a three and D prototype, but at the, at the same time, he's not even able to practice right now. The Hawks had to do something to get to 14 players by Thursday. That was the two week window. Um, for those of you that are new to this, you have to, uh, you know, teams are required to have at least 14 players under contract for all. But you, you can go almost you can go uh, two weeks without having 14 players. But in the at the end of that time period, you have to have 14 active players, and two ways do not count. So, uh, you know, I, you know, the Hawks did recall uh, Josh Majet and Andrew White from the G League, and uh, that was something people were confused about is that why that didn't count. Um, it has to be 14 full roster players at a time. I go into two weeks without those. And of course, two weeks from the from Thursday when they signed Cleveland was the trade deadline in which they traded Babbitt, and uh, that was when they got actually below the uh, the threshold. So one of those things what where uh, they had to do something, but at the same time, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to sign a guy who is injured, especially to a 10-day contract. And he did, you know, if he's not even practicing yet, I can't imagine he'll be ready to play by the end of that. The only way that makes any sense at all is if uh, the Hawks want to keep him away from some other team, uh, sweep, sweeping in to uh, grab him. If they like him a lot, that, that was, sort of makes some sense. But at the same time, they probably could have signed you know, somebody that could actually play and uh, or, or at least practice. You know, he was never likely to, to be a guy that actually plays for the Hawks on a 10-day contract. But even if, you, if, even if they were to convert Andrew White's contract, do something other than to sign a guy to uh, a deal that uh, is unavailable. So uh, one of those things where it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense there, and we'll keep an eye on Cleveland. Maybe he'll get a second 10-day second contract, but for now, uh, you know, only only uh, eight or nine days left on that contract, depending on where, when you're listening to this, and uh, we'll see what happens at the end of that, considering he's not even able to play at this moment. Uh, before we get into the actual game that took place uh, on Friday, I, I promise, promise we'll definitely get there, but uh, actually uh, sort of a side note, and uh, one that directly, in fact, uh, indirectly, I should say, affects the Hawks, is that Jimmy Butler went down with a relatively serious-looking knee injury uh, for the Wolves on Friday. You might be asking yourself why that affects the Hawks, but it absolutely does. The Hawks have uh, Minnesota's 2018 first-round pick if it is not a lottery pick. And uh, you know, for most of this season, it's looked as if it, the, Wolves, the Wolves were going to be an absolute lock to make the playoffs. But with, if Butler is uh, is out for the season, and, and that's definitely something that you, we are definitely not assuming at this point in time, one of those things where you have to uh, have that in the back of your mind if you are a Hawks fan. Um, you know, There was some positive reporting out of, out of Shamsarania on Friday night about the injury and some optimism from the Wolves that it couldn't be uh, quite that bad necessarily. You know, it still it still could be absolutely, but um, we'll you know something out there. But if Butler was 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 able to miss the rest of the season. Um, that would definitely place the Wolves in some peril in terms of making the playoffs. So we'll come back and talk about that a little bit uh, later when we actually have some more clarity on that in terms of just specifics and scenarios. But the Hawks do have that pick, and the Hawks need the Wolves to make the playoffs this season. And if, if Butler's not there, it's no longer a lock. So we'll come back to that when we get a firm diagnosis on a Butler uh, probably probably later on next week. Um, with that said, we can get into the uh, the game on Friday night. And I mentioned before, pretty ugly from the Hawks here, a 23-point loss on the road in Indiana. The Hawks were eight-point underdogs, so not a huge surprise they were to lose this game. And without Ilyasova in the lineup, and they were a little bit shorthanded. Uh, Malcolm, Malcolm Delaney missed this game. Uh, Delaney apparently uh, suffered a, a knee injury actually during the last game of the uh, of the pre-break run. That was not reported at the time by the Hawks, but uh, he indicated that on Twitter that he is that he actually got injured before the break, and the Hawks ruled him out uh, before this game. Isaiah Taylor was uh, questionable, but he actually ended up playing and playing well. He was one of the few players that actually played well. We'll get into him in a second, but the Hawks were pretty shorthanded in this spot without all those guys, and um, it came back to bite them in some ways. But I think the headliner for me, honestly aside from the Hawks just not playing well, was Dwayne Dedman not playing at all in the second half of this contest. Dedman played 12 minutes in the first half, which is pretty pretty light workload for a guy who started at center, and then did not play in the second half at all. Did not start second half, obviously. Mike Muscala got that nod, and uh, no, no appearance from Dedman. The Hawks 
did note um, through their PR team that he that Deadman is not injured. Um, I, I wish he would have been asked. I wish Bud would have been asked about Deadman after the game. But you know, on the road um, there in Indiana, there was uh, apparently that question was not asked, at least on the televised portion of the broadcast. So uh, we don't have any clarity on Deadman not being not being available in the second half at all. But it looks like to me a DNP CD situation where Bud just made the decision not to play him. I mean. It's pretty strange in the fact in the way that the Hawks only, really only had four big men available to them. It was uh, Collins and Debit started, then Muscalum. They had Mason, I mean, sorry, Mason, uh, Miles Plumley available, and that was really it. And Bud really only used three big men in the second half. Uh, they played Tory Tory Prince some at the power forward spot, which I have no problem with. But at the same time, you know, Debman, obviously one of your better big men, and would certainly be playing in a normal situation. So I wonder if that was disciplinary, if something happened at some point in time where Bud was disappointed in the way that Debman played in the first half, et cetera, et cetera. All, you know, all those all those are questions we can't answer at this moment in time, but certainly very strange, something to keep an eye on, eye on in the future, and if nobody asks this question before Monday, I'm happy to ask it of Bud when the, when the Hawks come back and play a home game against the Lakers on Monday, that'll definitely be something that's uh, between now and then, whether it be at practice over the weekend or on Monday, that Bud will have to address in some form or fashion. I'm sure he'll give, he'll give a traditional Bud answer and basically say that it was uh, you know some, some strategic thing, but I can't imagine a scenario in which a basketball decision was made to sit Dwayne Dedman uh, in favor of Miles Plumley and no other big men, so that's just something to get out there and you know Deadman didn't play great in the first half I will say but at the same time he wasn't terrible either it was certainly not the reason the Hawks were down so pretty uh, notable decision from Mike Budenholzer uh, moving on to the rest of the uh, contest here big picture stuff uh, the Hawks allowed a 109.7 offensive rating to the Pacers that included 30 assists pretty brutal and a, a 31% offensive rebound rate the Hawks were brutal on the glass uh, just pretty much bad defensively throughout this game you know the fourth quarter was uh, pretty brutal in itself. You know, some of that was garbage time, but at the same time, you know, before that, it was pretty ugly in itself. And uh, 21 points off the bench from from, the, from Demonis Sabonis, who kind of lit the Hawks up on the interior. Thaddeus only had 20 points from a Georgia Tuck standout. Uh, Lance Stevenson had 13, 8, and 8 off the bench. Uh, Victor Oladipo, who has been fantastic this season, didn't even shoot the ball well. He was 5 of 16 from the floor, still had 14, 9, and 7, and 4 steals for Indiana. And basically, everybody had it going for the Pacers, uh, whereas the Hawks' offense really was stagnant. And 88 offensive rating, a 45 percent clip from the field's not too bad, but only 14 assists against 22 turnovers from the Hawks. That's pretty brutal in a lot of ways. 7 of 31 from 3 didn't really help matters, and they missed 7 free throws as well, but in the end, you know, that kind of assist to, that kind of assist to turnover ratio is not going to get you done uh, on the road, especially against a team that's better than you are, so uh, pretty ugly across the board there for Atlanta. Uh, individually speaking, we'll start with the bench first and uh, highlight some guys who actually had reasonable performances. I mentioned Isaiah Taylor earlier on the podcast. I think he was probably the player that played... Uh, the best when compared to his actual baseline in this game. 17 points, 6 assists, 2 steals for Isaiah in 23 minutes. He was 7 of 10 from the floor. A lot of that's just positive shooting from him. Uh, but in the same breath, I thought he played pretty pretty intensely defensively by his standards. I thought he played pretty, pretty darn well here. One of his better games in his Hawks career. Tyler Dorsey had 11 points off the bench in 22 minutes, took 10 shots, so it wasn't super efficient, but 3 of 8, three of eight from 3, didn't do a whole lot else, but was at least somewhat of a bright spot offensively. Miles Plumley, 19 minutes, played a lot of that in the second half without Deadman, 4 points, 2 rebounds, and 3 block shots for Plumley. He wasn't bad, he was actually uh, dead even in plus minus in a 20-point loss, so uh, that's not necessarily on him, but I, I didn't think he was great or bad, just kind of a, a typical Miles Plumley game. Uh, Andrew White played 1 minute, I was, I'm not even going to really talk about that, but White and Josh Majette were the only guys who did not really play in the rotation. This is a 10-man rotation for Atlanta of the available players and the two G- and the two different uh, two-way guys were the ones that were not in the rotation for Atlanta in this spot. 
DeAndre Bembry, 8.6 rebounds. Uh, defensively, has had a, had a number of nice moments. Actually made a three in this game, but offensively continues to kind of be a struggle as to what he's actually doing offensively. There are a lot of moments where he just looks like he's unprepared, which is a little bit strange for a guy who was so cerebral in college and so uh, polished in that way. And you know, he, he sort of looks lost offensively right now. You know, the numbers don't look bad in this game. I, I think he's got a lot of work to do offensively. Defensively, still a pretty good prospect in a lot of ways, but offensively, he's going to have to improve in the future. Mike Muscala had a rough shooting night, two of eight from the floor, 0-4 from three. Six points, five rebounds, two steals. He was just—he was just okay. I thought he was actually—you know—the shooting numbers were pretty ugly. But aside from that, he wasn't terrible. Just not a great Muscala performance because he's got—he's got to make shots to stay on the floor a lot of the times. Uh, moving on to starting lineup, Dwayne Devin, I mentioned before, three, three, three points, two rebounds, pretty innocuous, 12 minutes, and of course what we talked about previously, uh, John Collins, nine points, nine rebounds, two block shots in 30 minutes, it was four of six from the floor, so the 30 minutes to lead the entire team was encouraging, I didn't think John played that well, nor was he as bad as the minus 20 indicated, uh, sort of a middling performance, but did rebound the ball well, he was the only guy on the roster that really rebounded the ball well in this spot, aside from, I guess, Bembry in his uh, in his wing in his wing role that he was playing, but you know Collins was just, was just okay, I I didn't think he was uh, very good or very bad in the spot. Torian Prince, 14 points, 7 rebounds, 3 steals, 2 assists, and 6 turnovers and 5 fouls in 27 minutes. The numbers don't look terrible. You know, 14-7 doesn't feel like an awful performance. I thought Torian was really bad in this game, honestly. Defensively, he was a mess pretty much throughout. Um, You know, very, very few positive moments. He actually gave an an insightful interview to uh, Michael Cunningham of the AJC. I would encourage you guys to go go back and read that in which Torian references some off-court stuff, references the fact that he thinks, I guess he thinks he's been making developments defensively, which I've seen the opposite this season, honestly, but uh, definitely worth a read to sort of get inside Torian's mind a little bit, and a good job by MC to break that all down, but uh, in this spot, Torian was brutal. Honestly, that's kind of the best, best way I would put it. I think if you just look at the box score and see the 14-7, and seven, you, you wouldn't necessarily see that aside from six turnovers, but offensively, uh, the decision-making continues to be a mess a lot of the time for Torian. I'm all about aggression, and when he's aggressive and going to the rim, I don't really mind it, but the uh, weird passes and some bad shots in the perimeter, uh, you don't love that, but it was more about defense for me. He was just kind of a mess throughout the night on that end of the floor. Uh, Dennis Schroeder, nine points, two assists, four turnovers in 27 minutes, and three of 12 from the floor, 0 of three from three. He was bad. Uh, when, Dennis is, when Dennis doesn't put up numbers, offensively doesn't, doesn't produce uh, effectively on that on the floor, it's tough to even play him a lot of the time. I think if Malcolm Delaney had, had been available in this game, they would have seen would have seen, would have seen a lot of him. That's how bad Dennis was. Uh, not, not, not a shot at Malcolm, obviously, at all, because I think he's been playing well this season, but uh, Dennis was just pretty bad here, and that, that ended up um, being a lot of Isaiah Taylor minutes uh, at, at different times because he was just playing better than Schroeder was in this game for a lot of, for a lot of the time. And finally, Kent Bazemore, 12 points, 5 rebounds, 2 assists, and 3 turnovers in 28 minutes. He was just okay. I didn't think Kent was particularly good here. Defensively had some moments where he wasn't great by his standards, um, but 28 minutes, you know, 12 and 5 was just fine. Didn't shoot the ball well, but uh, wasn't the problem, wasn't wasn't necessarily the solution either, and that is the end of that. So, uh, again, the Hawks just didn't play well at all here, losing this game to a uh, to a superior team. There's no, there's no shame in them losing this spot, but at the same time, just the way they did not show up necessarily was not very encouraging. So, you know, head lines to follow. Obviously, Ilya Sova is going to be spending spending some time elsewhere, and Debman's benching. That's that's kind of the one for me that was that stands out above all else on this on this particular night. Other than obviously Ilya Sova as a transactional move is sort of the the headliner, but in terms of the actual game itself, Debman not playing is something to certainly keep an eye on in the future. Um, with that said, I, I will get out of here on this fine Friday night into Saturday morning. I will not have a show on Monday um, because I have some travel to uh, get in, and that'll be just kind of what it is. The Hawks play again on Monday evening against the Lakers at home. I will be in attendance for that game. 
And we'll have a pod, of course, wrapping that up. So that'll be the next time we have a podcast is Tuesday morning. So stay tuned for that. This is a special sort of a weekend edition. So hope you guys enjoy the podcast in that way. Of course, if, if something crazy breaks, we'll do a pod. We'll do an emergency show between now and then. But I can't imagine the fact that you know other than Ilyasova being bought out, that would be the only thing that would be a headliner, and that's already kind of happened. So we will not have a, an emergency show, a show if that actually becomes official. So between now and then, unless something crazy happens, we'll see you guys on Tuesday. Please subscribe to the podcast, do all that fun stuff, and we'll see you in a couple days.